Hi, this is Chad Stewart here, and you're listening to On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 28 of On Screen and Beyond. We've got a lot of things that are going on. It's just going crazy right now. But we are preparing to head to Honolulu, Hawaii to cover the world premiere of Ryan and Sean's Not-So-Excellent Adventure on Saturday, November 8th with Ryan and Sean. They will be there along with some other people from the movie. And then we head off to L.A. for the November 13th, which is a Thursday, and the San Francisco uh, premiere on Friday, November 14th. 14th, and it's a special premiere with the stars. Ryan and Sean will be there, and other people will be involved with the movie that are going to be there, as well as special guest stars who are planning to attend the L.A. premiere for that one, all right? So a lot of things happening. All the premieres are red carpet events. going to be a lot of fun, and On Screen and Beyond will be there to cover it for you. And for those of you that can't be there, well, we're going to have special podcasts and video casts of the event for those of you who can't be there but want to see what's going on and all the fun and excitement that happens. All right, so that'll give you something to look forward to in case you're not in those areas. Um, and also, people have been asking where else is the movie going to be showing? Well, it's going to be showing in other theaters, but they haven't announced where they're all going to be. Um, they are working on other cities, and uh, we'll let you know as soon as they let us know, and that'll be on our website. You can check it out at onscreenandbeyond.com and find out all those locations as they come up. There'll be a lot of places they're going to be showing. They'll be showing for uh, weeks at a time in um, the Livermore area in uh, California and I believe... uh, I don't know if this has been released yet, but I believe it's going to be showing in Houston and Dallas area. So those are some of the places that will be showing up, and we hope that you're going to go see it. But uh, we'll keep you informed. Check out the website, and you'll know where that's going to happen because we will post it as soon as it comes out. Also on this episode, we have an interview that is going to blow you away. Well, we are going to be joined by one half of the 60s musical sensations, Chad and Jeremy, as we chat with Chad Stewart. And uh, they were currently on tour, and they have a new CD release that's out. And you can get that at Amazon, or you can get it at iTunes. You can listen to some of the songs on iTunes if you want to hear what it sounds like. Uh, You can get it at a lot of other locations, of course. And it's called Archaeology. All right? It's a great CD. I've listened to some of it. And uh, they sound better than ever. And their beautiful harmonies, it's just amazing what they're doing right now. And it, um, that's coming up shortly right here on On Screen and Beyond. But next, Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, it looks like the 1956 sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet is heading toward a remake. And the Footloose remake that we talked about a while back uh, now says it will star Zac Efron, who, of course, is uh, High School Musical High School Musical 2 and High School Musical 3 uh, in the starring role that Kevin Bacon used uh, back a while and became famous for. And it's all set for a 2010 release. And a remake of Seven Samurai is in the works, and we're looking at a possible 2009 release. So we'll keep you informed on that one. Coming up next, upcoming movies right here on Screen and Beyond.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Upcoming movies. Well, it looks like August of 2009 will bring us Julia and Julia, starring Meryl Streep as the famous cooking lady, Julia Childs. And it sounds like uh, she's going to be putting on quite a little accent on this one. Also look for Meryl Streep to star with Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt. It's about a nun in 1964 who confronts a priest after suspecting he is abusing a student. Look for... uh, January of 2009 release on that one. And Philip Seymour Hoffman can also be seen in The Boat That Rocked. It's a comedy about an offshore illegal radio station in the 1960s. And the director, John Landis, is working on a comedy called Epic Proportions, set for a 2010 release about two good-for-nothing brothers during the Great Depression who start as extras on a movie and move up the ranks on an expensive yet doomed movie about biblical plagues so that sounds like a good comedy and uh, that's uh, about it for upcoming movies right now here on on screen and beyond coming up next taking you down to sequel city Sequel City, it looks like Sin City 2 is looking for a 2010 release starring Jessica Alba and Clive Owen. And they're also looking at Sin City 3, Helen Back. There's no release date on that, but they're just going right into number 3 right off the bat. And let's see what else. Rumor has it that Elf 2 with Will Ferrell is in the works. And Pulse 2 Afterlife takes up where the original left off as the dead return to our world through cell phones and Wi-Fi. They found a way to get here. That's the way. And the humans head to the hills to escape. And let's see. One other thing that I want to let you know about. It's American Pie 4 is now rumored in the works. That's about it for sequels coming your way at Sequel City. Right here on On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, we have TV on DVD. Well, TV on DVD out this month includes on November 11th, Father Knows Best, Season 2 with Robert Young as the father and Billy Gray as Bud the son. And we will be having an interview with Billy next month on On Screen and Beyond. And that sort of ties in with the release of November 11th of Father Knows Best and the release of the movie that Billy Gray was the star. He starred as the little boy in the movie the Day the Earth Stood Still, the original, and the new one will be released in December. So we'll have an interview with Billy Gray coming up next month right here on On Screen and Beyond. And then again on, on November 11th, look for The Streets of San Francisco, Season 2, Volume 2. And we have a review of the DVD on our website in the review section. And later on on this episode of On Screen and Beyond, we will be having a review of The Streets of San Francisco, Season 2, Volume 2 right here. And let's see, what else is going on here? On November 18th, it'll be bringing us the classic Jack Lord show, Hawaii Five-O, fifth season. And also The Odd Couple with Jack Kluckman and Tony Randall, the fifth season. And those are coming out, as I said, on November 18th. 
And that's about it for TV on DVD on On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at movies coming out on DVD right here. Well, with movies on DVD, look for December 23rd release of Burn After Reading to move into stores on DVD starring Brad Pitt and George Clooney. On December 2nd, you can fly me to the moon as it zooms into stores on, uh, like I said, December 2nd. And that's a 3D animated feature starring Edward Aldrin Jr. and Christopher Lloyd and Nicolette Sheridan. And on December 16th, Brandon Fraser in The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, comes to stores with the latest installment of The Mummy franchise. That's right. And finally, House Bunny with Anna Ferris hops into stores on December 23rd. That's about it for movies on DVD. Coming up next, our review of TV DVDs coming out. And we'll be reviewing Streets of San Francisco Season 2, Volume 2, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, once again, it's time for us to sit back and take a look at a DVD release that's coming out and let you know what we think about it here from On Screen and Beyond. Well, this one, we're going to look at The Streets of San Francisco, Season 2, Volume 2. It's a 1973 show. It comes out on November 11th. And it's an action drama show. It starred Car- Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. And uh, to give you an idea of what it's about, it, uh, a 20-year veteran detective, Lieutenant Mike Stone, is partnered with a young college-educated inspector, Steve Keller, who has a lot to learn about being a police detective on the streets of San Francisco. All right, so that's a general idea of what it's about. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this set has 621 minutes of viewing on it, so it's uh, quite a bit of stuff on three uh, DVDs. And uh, let's see here. As far as the review, you know, this show is a no-nonsense, action-packed crime police drama. Right. And every episode has a well-told story that uh, sort of became a trademark of Quinn Myron Productions in the 60s and 70s. It, uh, they, they really knew how to tell a story. And uh, Kyle Malden and Michael Douglas made a great team on the show. And the transfer to DVD doesn't look dated at all, really. It's a, it could be played today, other than the fact that uh, at point one show they used a stock footage, which generally looks bad in any show if you, you play it, you know, show it like that. Um, and just to give you an idea, of, sometimes you'll see, like, in one of the shows they had these fire trucks that were coming out of the fire station and going down the road, and it looks very grainy, um, but... Uh, you know, so so that doesn't look very good. But then again, back in 1973, it didn't look very good either. But uh, in general, that's when they use stock footage, and it never sort of meets what you what you see on the screen with the uh, the actual filming that they did. But uh, other than that, it really looks good. Uh, the, the the transfer to DVD is great, and uh, it's very sharp and everything. But uh, let's see here. There are no bonus materials included on it, uh, which some people you know might uh, wish there were. But overall, it is a great cop show, and it makes a great addition to anybody's DVD collection if you like crime dramas, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good good show. You might want to check that out. So that's about it uh, for uh, the DVD reviews right here at On Screen Beyond. But uh, coming up next, we're going to have our interview with none other than that guy, 
Chad Stewart, who was part of Chad and Jeremy back in the 60s. And Chad and Jeremy are back again, once again touring, and they've released a new DV, uh, new CD. And uh, that's available at Amazon and iTunes. And if you go to our website on screen and beyond, we're going to have a connection where you can turn around and connect to that. And... Um, that way you can uh, find out. If you want, you can go to iTunes and you can go sample them a little bit. But it's, they, they sound really good. It's amazing that they, they sound so nice after all these years. But uh, we had a chance to sit down and chat with Chad. And uh, he gave us a lot of great uh, stories about what went on back then and uh, what's going on now. And we think you're going to enjoy that. That's next right here on Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, uh, we're part of the British invasion back in the 60s, and they are currently on tour in the U.S., and they've released a new album, and we'll get into that, and we have Chad Stewart of Chad and Jeremy on the phone with us. Hello, Chad. Hi, man. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm on the road. What can I tell you? <laughs> I'm, I'm in a zen-like state of uh, suspended animation or something. Now, no, you... I'm, I'm, I'm actually um, in a hotel room. Yeah, feeling reasonably relaxed. <laughs> now, do you uh, do you find it harder than back uh, on the crazy days back in the '60s when you were uh, running around constantly doing concerts and everything, and now you're back doing it again? Do you find it harder now, or no, no, it's, it's a lot easier now. I think that when you're a grown-up, you, hopefully you've learned how to handle yourself and others, and uh, you can, you know, rent a car. <laughs> You know how to book a plane ticket. I mean, when I think back to the 60s, we were like performing seals, really. I mean, a lot of people ask me, what's it like, you know, now, now that you're not, you know, they, some, some are more tactful than others, now that you're not nearly so famous, <laughs> or whatever, or what's it like performing now, sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Well, obviously, I've had to think about this uh, so that I can give a cogent response, and I think that in a nutshell, back in the 60s, you were schlepping around the country at the behest of your agency and various other people and the record company to um, promote your current hit single and to sort of exploit it generally, you know, mm -hmm. make some money while the going was good. In other words, the whole thing was hugely cynical. Uh, the equipment was inferior. Yeah. Uh, the, and nobody could hear you because they were all screaming and the whole thing was Looney Tunes. Now we're doing it because we can do a whole show, uh, sometimes two hours, sometimes 90 minutes, and it, it's just a huge kick and a pleasure and a privilege, actually, to be doing that, you know, in your, in your 60s. I mean, who would have thunk? You know? <laughs> wasn't, when, wasn't Mick Jagger going to retire at 45? Right, yeah. <laughs> but it, but, I mean, it, I just feel so lucky. I know Jeremy does, too. We have this conversation at regular intervals. We feel so fortunate that we can do that. And then the, the people who come to the concerts, they've had lives, too. And so we are now meeting again. Yes, you could say it's nostalgia, but I think nostalgia is simply a piece of the whole pie. It's not the whole pie. It's just a part of it. And we have a lot of experiences and then we always have a meet and greet after the show so that we can, you know, because 
they paid their money and come all this way. And it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a terrific thing. I don't know if I've succeeded in describing it, but that's the best I can do right now. Yes, oh yes. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I haven't seen one of your shows, and I wish I could, but I have seen clips on your website and things of the uh, shows that you're doing now, and they seem like a very intimate show. I mean, the people are very close, and, and it seems like a very relaxed show. Is that, uh, yeah. that true? Yeah, that, that particular venue they were, uh, but and we like it when, when it's intimate, yes. They don't have to be looking up your nostrils, counting your nose hairs, as they were on that <laughs> clip. But um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it has to be intimate. I mean, we do, we went actually from that show, I think, at one point. We then flew to Cleveland, and we did, I think it was nearly 10,000 people in the baseball, no, not mm -hmm. the baseball stadium, the basketball stadium. Yeah. And those are a bit tricky. I mean, you can do it, but you're not a rock band, and you have, but I know... You just sort of, you kind of think big and, and hope for the best and send it out there. But no, it's hard to get that response. I think it depends a lot on the interaction with the audience. I think yeah. that's a very important part of it, certainly for me. I think it's like a, you set up a sort of circle of energy. You kind of, you go out there and you kick it off and then they sort of send it back to you. And before you know it, you've got, you're kind of surfing on this invisible wave. It's great. It's terrific. And, yeah. And everybody's on that wave. It's not the audience isn't isn't passive. I think well maybe some are more passive than others. And we're not looking for people yelling and screaming and jumping up and down or making rude remarks either for that matter. But it's I don't know, it's a sort of energy exchange. Yeah. But it just seems that, you know, of course, back in the 60s, like you say, everybody was screaming and yelling and they couldn't uh, they couldn't really enjoy the music. But now the people are there, and I'm sure they're still very, you know, very responsive and everything, but that they can enjoy the music more now. Oh, absolutely. I'm, and I'm glad of that because I think the, even with the old songs, I, I sometimes call the set, I, I liken it to a wedding in the sense that when people say, well, what, what are you going to do in terms of material? And I say, well, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a smorgasbord blended in with, with all the stories and just spontaneous humor. A lot of it is just comes out of the moment. Yeah. But I mean, if you can't, if you're not laughing, I think that would be another one of my sort of mottos, which is don't forget funny. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? It's, this is not a serious occasion, folks. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you about that. Um, I noticed, uh, I mean, you were in a lot of TV shows back yeah. in the 60s. Okay. And um, the two of you seem to be, uh, you did everything tongue-in-cheek a lot when you were on the shows. You, 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 you seem to have a nice uh, zaniness about the two of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you I think the Brits were raised on, um, uh, in terms of television and radio, we had, the BBC was pretty amazing, you know, mm -hmm. very very uh, Catholic approach, and I don't mean the religious Catholic, I mean the broad, broad sort of, a, a, a smorgasbord of all sorts of things. I mean, when we had the Goon Show, and then there was Monty Python later. And oh, yeah. There's a sort of tradition in Britain for that. But, of course, if you wake up one day and you've been catapulted from nowhere to somewhere, and that particular somewhere involves going on television and largely playing yourself, though not always, but sometimes we played other characters. We did a western where we were playing actors, uh, 
stranded in the old west. That was pretty the, funny. Laredo, yes, I, I remember that episode. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. But you know, so you, I mean, if you try, if you, you couldn't approach all this lot seriously, I mean, Batman with the Catwoman right. singing your voices, I mean, come on, lighten up. <laughs> but 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 doing Batman back in the sixties. Now let's face it, Batman was like uh, American Idol as far as uh, ratings. Yeah, it was now huge, I mean. Wasn't it? That was yeah. being on that show must have been a, a a big thing. Yeah, I suppose it was. It was. It was. Uh, it's always been a part of my life in a strange kind of way because, um, first of all, it was kind of fun to do, and though rather disappointing to find that the Batmobile was just a junky old Chevy, and you know, the inside was all. <laughs> terrible looking and they just have the outsides looking cool oh really and, and now adam west lives in sun valley where i live so oh really yeah that's yeah. pretty funny yeah he has uh he has a um an entry in the phone book it says it says adam west and then instead of the phone number it says see batman <laughs> so then you thumb through the directory and you go to batman and it says batman see adam west <laughs> so nobody gets his number yeah yeah but i i've met him on several occasions out there and so but i mean he's he he's pretty low profile really hey, wait a minute this interview isn't about you adam <laughs> sorry um we've been jumping around with different things but i'd like to start off because there's a lot of listeners who listen to the show who um you know may not have been around when in the 60s when you were around so i'd love sort of oh, like to be envy them <laughs> So I'd like to make a foundation. How did the two of you uh, come about? Ah, thereby hangs the tale. How much time do you have? I have all the time you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we met in drama school, actually. Uh-huh. It's extraordinary, really. It's one of those one of those crazy things. It's just, uh, Jeremy, you've been there a year, and I showed up. I had a guitar on my back. He had a guitar on his back. And um, apparently, I mean, the, the story, which is actually true, is that that I've I've been playing a bit, you know, sort of hanging out in the coffee bar or whatever, and, and so word reached Jeremy that this kid had arrived and uh, he could play Apache all the way through, mm -hmm. which was a hit here for Jorgen Ingman. It was an instrumental. Yeah. And so uh, he sought me out, and uh, I was very impressed with him because he wore a World War Two flying jacket and was obviously very popular, had his jeans tailored. And he had these cowboy boots. I, he was like obviously a happening guy, you know, very connected. He yeah. was connected. I mean, his father was a film producer in a partnership with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Oh wow! He was the kind of guy who he would say to me, "Hey, um, you want to uh, you want to go to the festival hall? Frank Sinatra's playing." And I'd go, "Wow, yeah, absolutely." He said, "You want we're, we're having dinner at Dougie Fairbanks's house with Frank. Do you want to come?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was blown away. I couldn't oh, yeah. believe it. I mean, I came out of the nowhere, the boonies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so we we did a trade. He he taught me how to behave and dress, and I taught him some more guitar chords. Hmm. Now, so you actually started as drama students as opposed yeah. to being. Now, how did the the music come into play? I mean, okay. I so well there we were, you know, just goofing around playing folk songs which is pretty much what you did when you were first learning, you know, to play and mm -hmm. just hanging out, the two of you. But then there was another guy there who wanted to start a band, and he had visions of being um, a lead singer. So we, we put this band together, and Jeremy
me was rhythm guitar, I was the lead guitar, and, and this guy, Stephen, was the, the singer. We called the band The Jerks, which is pretty pathetic. <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and Jeremy, we, we rehearsed for a bit, and we got sort of reasonably okay. I wouldn't say good, not even within hailing distance of good. And I think we had a Dutch actor on clarinet. It was a very odd combination. Hmm. And a real estate agent played the drums. <laughs> and another one played the bass. Another real estate agent. But it was very odd. And Jeremy's grandfather at the time was the Duke of Wellington, hmm. who has since passed on. And I think his uncle is now the Duke. And so next next surprise from Jeremy was, hey, one of my, uh, one of my cousins is having her coming out party uh, at my grandfather's estate, you and they want to book the band. Okay, guys. Yeah, great. Okay, so, so we on the appointed day, we're at we're at the theater, the embassy theater where the drama school was, and we look out the window, and two Austin Princess limousines pull up. One is for the amps, and the other one is for us. And so, I think that was the first big gig we ever played was at the Duke of Wellington's country estate. How did it go? Oh, it was fine. I mean, what was interesting was, of course, the band ate below stairs, right? Because we were the hired help. And so the big issue was, is Jeremy going to eat upstairs with all the earls and marquises, or is he going to come and eat with the band? Well, to his credit, he came down and ate with the band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a blast. I mean, the whole thing, looking back, was quite bizarre. Anyway, to, to answer your question, see what happens with me? You, you turn me loose, and that's it takes right. me about five minutes to answer the question. Uh, that's all right. We'd love to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun for me, too, because there's so many stories that I can't remember them all, and suddenly they come out. It's a bit like uh, lying on the couch and having a therapy session. <laughs> anyway, what happened, of course, was that the jerks broke up. Uh, I mean, do me a favor. It was, it was very important that we broke up. I mean, we, the world was a lot better off without us. <laughs> so Jeremy left ahead of me, and he was a year ahead, and he went up to um, Scotland to act in repertory theater, and I was on my lonesome, and I dropped out and uh, went to work as a copyist because I'd been musically trained, really. I mean, I was a chorister at Durham Cathedral, so I was steeped in music from the age of 10. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that and I was playing in pickup bands at night and um, just sort of contemplating the future and wondering what the heck I was going to do. I think I wanted to be an arranger. I, I, I never knew from one day to the next what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. It was either musical or acting or something. And then lo and behold, uh, Actors' Equity, the Actors' Union in Britain, goes on strike. So it shuts down all the plays, all the productions, all the everything, Jeremy is out of work now. Uh -huh. So he comes back to London on the train, and we start um, playing again, just the two of us, playing pretty much anywhere where there was food, mm -hmm. which is kind of, uh, we just, we would play Italian restaurants, they were always good, you know, 10 shillings a night and all the spaghetti you could eat. And it was all rather Greenwich Village, really, the sort of British version of it, you know, yeah. just sort of bumming around and uh, doing that. But of course I was a working stiff at the same time because I was working at a music publisher doing my copying gig. Yeah. And so I was doing that in the lunchtime. And I remember I would work in the morning, grab my guitar, run over to this place, what was it called, Tina's? Tina's Bar or something. It was a cellar really, kind of like a folks cellar. It wasn't really a bar. And 
Well, of course, they call it bars in England, but they're really coffee bars. Is mm-hmm. what they are. Anyway, and, and then I would race back and I would do that, and then I would go down to the British equivalent of Tin Pan Alley and I would play in pickup bands at night. And I remember thinking, God, this is exhausting. Something has to give. And sure enough, it did. And what happened was that um, a friend of a friend of a friend tipped off John Barry, who was a, a record producer at the time, mm-hmm. who later became a film composer, as we all know. Yeah. And he came down to hear us, and uh, he signed us up. Huh. So what it comes down to, the the um, strike, the actor strike, yeah. really, the good thing to come out of it was the world got Chad and Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because had there not been an actor strike, we wouldn't have done that. So life is... Uh, Strange that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the way the the way the dominoes fall. Huh. So now, after you um, got back together, uh, did you set your sights on America right off, or? No, no, not at all. We we were just uh, just kind of adrift. You know, we were a boat without a rudder. Really, mm-hmm. we we were just a couple of folkies, not really thinking about it. I mean, Jeremy was waiting for the strike to end. Yeah, we didn't really. I don't think it really occurred to him that he was doing anything more than just um, just having a good time. And but of course, once the record thing dropped in his lap and my lap, I think it kind of changed everything for him. I think he thought, "Gosh, this is too um, this is too much of a, an adventure to pass up." Hmm. You know, there'll be time to act later. Let's do this now, yeah. sort of thing. Thinking that it wouldn't last, as most people thought. I think. Right. Because, I mean, you don't really. You just think, well, you know, I mean, every other journalist would always say to you, what are you going to do when the bubble bursts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was just the way you thought, really. Yeah. And, uh, most pop singers were flashing the pan operations anyway. Right, yeah. yeah. But now, uh, when you came to America and you, you had all these hits and everything, um, you didn't just stick with the music. You had the opportunity that a lot of artists, uh, singers and things didn't have because you started going into uh, TV. Right. I, I think we didn't really plan it, of course. We didn't plan anything, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just going to grab my water bottle here. Yeah. All this chat is making me thirsty. Okay. Um, we, I think what happened is the word got out. I think the agent, the William Morris agent who signed us, um, was in the television department. That obviously had something to do with it. Um, but it, it, but once the word got out that we were English and we had long hair and we were drama students, it was like, oh, great, we can use these guys. And so, you know, yeah. and they started, uh, we were in all these things, as you know, Patty Duke. And, well, Dick Van Dyke was the first, which was the best also. Really? Is that the one you liked? The, being oh, on? absolutely. I mean, to go from sort of scuffling on the streets of London in seemingly the winking of an eye and you're sitting around the table at Desilu Studios. Um, I think it was Desilu, um, with Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore and Bill Persky and Sam Denoff and Carl Reiner and, yeah. um, you know, oh, one of those other wonderful actors. I should know all their names, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, it was quite a cast. That's oh, cool. yeah. And, I mean, they were just so nice and, you sit around the table and you do a read-through, and they were, the bigger they are, the nicer they are, really. You know, very kind, very not not pulling rank, encouraging suggestions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was it was a lovely experience. And another magical thing that happened on that um, show was in rehearsal, 
uh, Carl Reiner came running in saying, uh, Don Rickles is on his way, everybody. Everybody hide. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody vanishes behind the flats and the sets and the stairs and this and that. And Don comes on and says, all right, you hockey pucks, <laughs> come on out wherever you are. And he proceeds to destroy everybody, but he was totally nice. He didn't destroy us. I think he realized that at our tender age, we'd have burst into tears. <laughs> Now, on that show, you got to sing No Other Baby? Oh, heck, did we? I don't remember. I, yeah, I think we did. Yeah. There's a much better version on this new, on the archaeology, on the yeah. new record. It, it's so much better. I yeah. just look back with embarrassment at some of the things we did. <laughs> uh, I, this is an opportunity to set the record straight. You know, anybody hears this album, this is the way... This is the way we are now, and we're erasing the past, okay? Yes. This is it. So this is like the director's cut. You, yes, what, what you really wanted. Right. This is what we really wanted. We just didn't know it at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you continued singing in, in TV until about, what was it, 67, was it? And, and yeah, then... 66, 67. I, I'm not really sure what it was, but that, that was around the time when we were trying, making conscious effort to sort of snap out of being the ballad boys, the the mop top pop singer kind of people. I mean, I think you know we were growing older, and the Beatles were were doing their thing and showing the way, demonstrating that a recording studio could be used as an instrument, in a way, yeah. in the sense that you could do a lot more. And it was uh, it was what it was. It was the '60s, and it was um, a time of experimentation and exuberance and social protest with a with a good deal of justification I might add and so uh, that's another irony to me about archaeology coming out now because as I note in the brief liner note we did the arc the song the mm -hmm. arc is an oblique protest against the Vietnam travesty and, yeah. uh, and lo and behold here we are again chaps yep <laughs> Gee. Yeah. Now, uh, anyway so we did that and Jeremy of course at the same time he wrote a lot of songs, which is extraordinary because he'd never really been much of a writer. And he suddenly got the muse just zapped him one day, and he started to write up a storm. And he wrote the vast bulk of Cabbages and Kings and The Ark. Mm -hmm. And then I just became Mr. Arranger and had lots of fun and did extraordinary all sorts of things that, looking back, I wish I hadn't, like, like inserting a sitar solo in the middle of Rest in Peace. What for? Well, because I could. Yeah. I, I went to the Ravi Shankar School of Indian Music and got thoroughly into it, thought it was wonderful. But as, as Eric Clapton wisely remarked, who was also a student there, he said, uh, if I practice this instrument for the rest of my life, 24 hours a day, I'll never be any good. Mm -hmm. And he was right, because uh, yeah. we, we weren't raised to it. We weren't born to it. We were just Westerners with not the faintest idea of what Ravi Shankar was really doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I digress. I do that a lot, you know. <laughs> well, I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> well Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, um, as we uh, go, continue on through your careers, though, you, um, now I noticed that you did um, the voice of a character on a Disney movie. Oh, yeah, that was such fun. I really loved doing that. I, I just desperately wanted to get into voiceovers. Ironically, my son, my eldest son, does that now. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to crack. I mean, I, I was uh, obviously not, I didn't belong to the club. But all they wanted was a Beatle. Yeah, because you, now, if I remember right, you were, there was four of you? Yes, and you were you were sort of the, the vultures version of Beatles. <laughs> well, it, it should have been that way. I looking at it now. I mean, you can always improve it. I mean, it wasn't my movie, and I wasn't the director. And they had got they had a Beatle um, song, a Beatley song, and they wanted all Beatles. But Walt Disney, who was still alive then, overruled them and said, "No, no, no. The Beatles will be washed up in no time." And, <laughs> And uh, no, no, we've got to do something else. So they did a silly barbershop song, which I think was really stupid. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was really the only one, you know, with my, you know, poor little fella, you know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Haven't you got a mother or a father? Yeah. I mean, that that was four lugubrious vultures, Liverpudlian vultures, perfect. But oh no, we had a Cockney, we had, and the other two, God knows what they were. <laughs> And and uh, it was stupid, I thought, but a bit enormous fun, and everybody loved it. So I didn't ever say it was stupid. I think I've just said it was stupid for the first time. Oh, really? <laughs> well, um, now uh, it's, and Jeremy, he went on to do um, some other stuff. Oh, he, yeah. I mean, that, during the course, I would say the arc was where it all unraveled. I mean, it, we had done Cabbages and Kings was um, kind of extravagant and um, expensive and no self-indulgent and Columbia had all their artists signed to a, a contract whereby they had to record in Columbia Studios at exorbitant rates so it was all a bit wicked and we ended up owing a quarter of a million dollars to Columbia when we parted ways wow. but they were they were very um, you know they they thought like the way suits think and and so suits at the time thought that, well, are you a singer or an actor? You can't be both, which, of course, is pathetic. Right. Because a year or two later, along came Bowie doing The Elephant Man on Broadway. Yeah. And, um, you know, Phil Collins proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was silly, really. Yeah. And looking back, we had something priceless there, which was a Columbia recording contract. We should have hung on to it. Mm. Instead of which, we just, I just said, well, fine. Yeah, you know do what you want to do, I'm going to score movies and I don't need you anyway. And So we parted on sort of not 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 bad terms, but I think we were both kind of, you know, Jeremy met uh, his wife soon after that, his wife-to-be, and uh, kind of, it was sort of time for, you know, a new chapter in, li- in our lives, Yeah, is what it was. And now, of course, having um, slid down the razor blade of life, as one wag once put it. I think now it's very wonderful to team up again because we've we've learned an awful lot of lessons and we don't take each other for granted and we're more patient and mm-hmm. and we're more grown up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now I you think we were snotty couple of blighters I do at the beginning, I really do. Yeah. 
Now, you also did a, a time as the musical director for the Smothers Brothers? Yeah, that was another fun gig, actually. That must have been. <laughs> yeah, Tommy heard Cabbies and Kings, and he called me up, and uh, I went to see him, and there we are. The rest was history. Yeah. yeah. They were, then again, they were, you know, victims of uh, political pressure. Oh, yes. That's... It was a shame, really, because, I mean, they were fighting the good fight, really. Yeah. I think Tommy Smothers was the Keith Oberman of his day. <laughs> Yeah, but he did it in a roundabout way. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wasn't exactly. He he wasn't he wasn't doing a polemic every week. I thought he was it was relatively subtle. But it's, it's yeah. hard to look back and think, gosh, they were rather intolerant times then, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, they're coming that uh, they're coming out with a DVD of uh, one of the years of their show. I think it is the third oh, cool. year or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad they are. They yeah. should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. How did you come back together? The, the way it happened was that I, I sometimes wonder if we probably wouldn't have anyway, because periodically, like every five or so years, um, Jeremy, because Jeremy's a hopeless schizophrenic. I mean, he, he's still an actor, but it's a bit easier now because, as he himself says, he's older now, so he doesn't get to play the hero. He gets to play the hero's lawyer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, you know, the, I mean, that happens. That happens to actors. I mean, unless you're Sir Alec Guinness or something. Right, that's, yeah. It, it's what's going to happen. And, and and so that makes it easier. I can't remember the question. Um, how did you get back together? Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't had a beer on an empty stomach or anything. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't drink on before a show. No, no. But I'm digressing again. What happened was that PBS found us somehow and invited us to do um, a, a thing called, I can't remember what it was called, a pop rock reunion, mm -hmm. which is a rather unpromising title. But anyway, Tommy James was headlining it, and yep. the Buckinghams were on it, and the Grassroots, and Mark Lindsay, and we've never really gone for that sort of thing, but this seemed to be... I was surprised that Jeremy said yes, actually. I, I was sort of... I think we both approached it with a, a degree of ambivalence. I, I think we weren't sure, A, how we fit into that context, and B, what the reception would be. But it, we thought, well, hey, you know, what have we got to lose? It'll be a good wheeze. So I went to England, I think. I think that's how it worked. Yes, that's right. I had a... There was a wedding in the family. I went to England... And then Jeremy and I went to France because he owned a farmhouse in France at the time in Provence, which was pretty nice. And we got together and kind of uh, discovered that we could still do it, which was a relief because if we couldn't, it would be kind of embarrassing. And then we went and did it, the, the show in Cleveland. And uh, when at the, at the end of Summer Song, with, with people standing up with tears in their eyes applauding for days, I mean, it, we just looked at one another and said, well, this is something that keeps going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and so I think that was sort of the first step. And then it was like, well, let's see if we can... Because then the producers of that show started to sort of... Um, not exactly syndicate it, but they, they wanted to put it on the road. Mm -hmm. So I think we then did about 10 dates or something around the country the next year as part of that package. So that was how it began rather unpromisingly in a way because it wasn't what we really felt comfortable doing 
And so then we just started to say we had to find a new agent who understood what we were after. And, and since then, we've been playing kind of, you know, 350 to 400-seat venues where, well, a classic example would be, um, the, um, what's it called, the Barns at Wolf Trap, just outside Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. which is a beautiful old barn. And I remember vividly in, I think it was 2004, calling them up and saying, this is Chad Stewart, I used to be in Chad and Jeremy, whatever, and some young person on the phone says, well, uh, didn't know me from Adam, and said, well, uh, just you know, send in a resume and a CD, and uh, we'll get back to you, but don't hold your breath. And, and so then, of course, when we finally get an agent, 2006, we, the agent books us in there, and we sell it out. And then in, we go back in 2007, we sell it out again, and we're going, and we've sold it out a third time uh, this year. Um, in, I think in two weeks we're, we're going to be down there, and we've sold it out again. So mm. I just feel, you know, I, I don't know what it is that I feel. I feel a sense of uh, justification that, that um, I think what I'm trying to say is it, I felt so um, defeated by the fact that when this young person didn't know What's that classic phrase? Don't you know who I was? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt like, oh, well, there's no, you know, there's no hope here. Well, there was. It's just that we had to get over that first hurdle. Yeah, yeah. And so it's uh, it's a long road back, but what do you do? You know, yeah. it's just such a privilege to be doing it. I just um, sometimes I, I think I must be dreaming because, sure, it's not easy. Airline travel is is not what it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was one of the fun things in the old days. You just breeze on the plane. Hi, everybody, we're back. Yeah. Um, now here we are back, and your uh, you have archaeology coming out, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. And um, uh, some of the tracks on there that you have, you, you do a cover of um, Homeward Bound, Simon Garfunkel. Yeah. The, that that's for a reason. The reason we did that is because it's really part of. It's one of those things in the show. We usually open the second half with that. Because um, back before Paul became famous with Artie, they had, I think they had Wednesday morning 3 a.m. was out, but it wasn't, you know, it hadn't attracted much attention. Mm -hmm. And that was when Sounds of Silence was on there just with a guitar. Yeah. And uh, he visited Jeremy in London and played him a bunch of songs. And Jeremy said, you know, we got to do that one. It's brilliant. So we, we recorded Homeward Bound with Paul in the studio. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, he didn't play on it. I yeah. wish he had. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. And so, then at the time, actually, at the very same time, uh, at that studio, he got a long-distance call telling him that uh, Sounds of Silence was uh, was roaring up the charts with the overdub version. Hmm. And so, so it. And so, if we'd had half a brain, we would have put out Homer Bound as the next single, but we didn't. So. Well, it sounds it sounds so nice what you've put out now. Thank you. It's a lot better than the one we did then. I have to tell you. Really? That's yeah. That's another story. I'll I'll keep on saying that. <laughs> I think just in case anyone's interested, this archaeology has 18 songs on it. It has, of course, the hits because it has to, but that's um that's what seven out of 18. So the rest are our favorite tracks from all the albums, really. Yeah, and it it's 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 just I mean eighteen that's a lot of songs on a on a yeah it is isn't it yeah that's more than what you usually we believe do. in value for money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
especially <laughs> in the straitened financial times that we all find ourselves in. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I want to encourage everybody who's listening to go to uh, either Amazon or iTunes or something and, and listen to some of the clips that they have because uh, the, this is a, an excellent album, it, I must say. Thank you kindly. I appreciate your saying that. I need all the encouragement I can get. <laughs> and um, I'm going to make sure that we put a link on our website so uh, people can go to your website to find, um, you know, where they can go get the album and... Uh, yeah, that would be very cool. And the downloading in, at Amazon isn't quite there yet, but I know you can download, I think, at iTunes. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, But it, it, it's a different world we're living in now, and I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that we're not beholden to a record company that doesn't pay us. So <laughs> it must be said Columbia was pretty good about that. Yeah. And, and we did get royalties from Columbia. But it, it's just... I don't know. I mean, I've got my own studio, and I can take as long as I want. I mean, that that's that's amazing to me. Yeah. I, mean, I, I come from, as Jeremy likes to say, the dark ages of recording. Yeah. Things were not easy. Nobody's standing over you saying, I need this in two weeks, get it done. I need yeah, right. It. It doesn't matter, matter what it sounds and like. And then you say, well, I, I can do that better. Sorry, there isn't time. Let's yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I mean, we were all set to put out... Uh, the new album of all new material, mm -hmm. but the president of uh, this little record label that's brave enough to put this out has, has said, "Look, um, you can't down. Nobody can download your stuff. You you predate all those kind of agreements. The recording te technology in the dark ages, you know, has been improved on, you know, tenfold, maybe twentyfold." And now you've got your own studio, go to it. So I did, and I said, all right, fine, we're going to do an album to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the release of the Ark, and it, we'll call it Archaeology, which isn't that clever, but it sort of is. Yeah. And and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll do two or three songs from every one of the albums, and we'll put little little pictures of all the albums all the way across the page, going back in time to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then right at the beginning, there's a picture of the very first photograph ever taken of us in the studio with John Barry recording yesterday's gone. So it's kind of cool. It's like a, it's not, you know what I mean? There's so many greatest hits albums. It's just, oh, please, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just boring, and they throw all sorts of crap on there that you're absolutely ashamed of <laughs> and wish you'd never recorded. And, and so this was um, truly a labor of love uh, because we wanted it. It's like it's like getting a wish. I mean, I've got a lot of wishes, and one of them was, I really like to go back in time and make those records better. Yeah, make them the way I wish we'd done, but we were young and stupid, and we did what we were told. And you know, you had a cast of thousands—well, maybe not thousands, but you know, a string section and a producer and yeah. an arranger and this and that and the other and and and, it, and and a huge clock on the wall ticking, and it's all costing far too much money, and the record company's going to get it back off you anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and you're 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 like a um, a passenger on a train, and you don't know where the hell the train is going. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, I I just felt that this was, you know, I was able to um, convince Jeremy, and he he when it got into it. I mean, he was sort of a bit disappointed at first. He wanted to get into the new stuff, and I don't blame him. But he rallied, and we, and we, you know, did it all. The one thing we couldn't bring ourselves to do was, was try to recreate it. You know, I know that's been the way for some people. 
is to say, okay, I'm not getting paid by the old record company, so I'm just going to make a sound-alike recording of it. Well, that's lame. I mean, why would anyone want to do that? So we didn't. We deliberately didn't do that. We just tried to honor the song, uh, drop all the ear candy, and just go with you know a sort of more honest kind of version, really. Sort of um, you know guitar, bass, keyboard, you know organ b3 organ when necessary mm -hmm. the only song that gets strings is a summer song because it, it was impossible to imagine it without strings so i just did it with a string quartet yeah it sounds so nice i mean yeah it, it, thank you for saying that because i mean some people go oh you know what do you want to do that for you know, yesterday's newspaper well it isn't actually because the songs may have been may have had their start yes in the yesterdays you know uh a lot more than yesterday, <laughs> and so yesterday's gone and away. But it, it's it's um, the, a song or a poem or a book or a novel is essentially timeless, and the only ones that will go away are the stinkers. Yeah. So now you are working on a, a, a totally new album, also. Oh yeah. Tomorrow, actually, we fly back to Sun Valley, Idaho, and I've got Jeremy in tow, and we're going to record um, basic tracks. All, all the new material. He's he's frighteningly prolific these days for some reason. He has a wonderful lyricist, and that's part of the secret. Mm -hmm. And so we will have a huge um, list of songs to choose from. I'm not looking forward to, to the whittling down process. But if we end up, I mean, in the old days, it was always like, gosh, well, can you come up with, you know, can you come up with seven songs and not, you know ten songs or whatever not anymore we'll yeah. cram as much onto a CD as we can that's great uh, I, I mean why not yeah I, I mean really and so I, I do know that it's going to be called probably called Zanzibar Sunset because mm -hmm. that's a, a lovely song that Jeremy and David his lyricist wrote and I don't know I'm just I'm obviously looking forward to that because I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression that we're just re-recording oldies for a yeah. I think that was an important thing to do because people should be able to download the hits and they should be able to download their favorites, if, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's it. I've completed that chapter. It's like I've closed that chapter now. Now that we've done that, we can move on. And we're making, by promoting this album, we're making uh, friends in high places, such as yourself. And... Uh, uh, maybe you don't think you're in a high place. No. It's a lot higher than some, let me tell you. But Cousin Brucey on Sirius Radio is um, a marvel to behold. Oh, yeah. And uh, we did, um, um, what's it called, Ken Dashow on, uh, on Q104 or something. I can't remember the thing. I, I hope he's not listening. Um, anyway, he was brilliant because uh, he's all over the Northeast and they syndicated into San Diego. I mean, you just have to get back in touch with what the business is now, mm -hmm. which is a whole other business. Yeah, yeah. And it's now, wonderful that there are, you know, that you're doing what you're doing. I mean, the fact that you can communicate in this whole new way, brilliant. And we played the Philippines twice. Wow. And uh, that was interesting. I mean, it, it's a wonderful country in many respects, but the dichotomy between rich and poor is, is uh, just astounding and ghastly.
country, but that's oh, another story. Yeah. The thing that amused me about it, if there is in fact anything amusing to be had there, is that uh, the people are the most musical nation in the world. So that's not amusing in itself. That's to, to be admired. But on the way over the first time, Jeremy was saying how much he really hates it when the audience sings along because I was... I had the temerity to suggest that we should ask them to sing along. He said, are you kidding? <laughs> never, never. I, I won't allow it. That's one thing I can't stand. I hate it when they do that. So we get to the Philippines, and we're in the Araneta Coliseum or whatever it's called. I can't remember exactly what it's called. And uh, and we get, they start singing everything. They know all the words to everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I just looked at his face. <laughs> and he was horrified. <laughs> and they loved it because they knew the words better than we did. You know, <laughs> if we screwed up, they just yeah. laughed. Yeah. I got one more question for you. Um, yeah. As far as archae- uh, the, not archaeology, but the new one that you're coming out with, yeah. um, are you doing all the arrangements for it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we basically, it's basically homegrown productions. I, I call my studio electric paint box because it really is like painting really mm-hmm. I mean the multi-track gave you the opportunity to do that I mean if Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder can do it I can do it <laughs> and uh, I just think I mean Jeremy plays a mean rhythm guitar and we do all the voices and stuff and I play drums and bass and stuff and uh, I play I have a lot of you know I have a Les Paul and a Stratocaster and uh, a Line 6 I like the Line 6 a lot it's a very versatile guitar mm. and I just um I think it's it's we do it a because we can and b because if you live out in the middle of nowhere, which is what I do, yeah. South Valley. I mean, what are you going to do? You yeah. Know? I I mean, sometimes people say, well, why don't you, you know, go to a studio and book some musicians? And I, well, everybody does that. And the thing is, I mean, if you're Paul Simon and you've got the best of the best of the best, that's fine. But even then. Let's face it, there was a point in, in pop history, and I forget what year it was, when Paul Simon turned Columbia Records on its ear by saying, I'm scrapping this album. I've spent $200,000, and I don't like it. I'm scrapping wow. it. And they all, the suits just about died. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and, and so, in other words, just because you get players, I mean, there are two ways to do this. One is... The old way, okay, fine. It worked for Burt Bacharach, it worked for a lot of people. It even worked for me sometimes. And then after that, the, the other way was to get a bunch of really heavy dudes, just give them some chords and let them sort of freak out on it and say, but that to me is a bit like, um, it's a bit like the guy who says, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like. Mm-hmm. And sort of, you know, good, I like that. Uh, you know, play it like that, great. That's a sort of scattershot approach to record production. And there's nothing wrong with it. Of course there isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do what you want to do. But there are people like me who are sort of a bit, um, sort of have a vision in their head, in which case, if you can play it, then play it. Yeah. Hmm. What, what are you going to do? Spend hours asking someone else to play it in a certain way and you can't communicate with them how you want it played. That's kind of dumb. It's just not the way I work. Yeah. And so we we do it because we've known each other since we were students. Mm-hmm. And we can communicate in shorthand. I mean, yes, we have differences of opinion. We're like brothers, really. So you can yell at each other if you want to because you're brothers. But nobody else can yell at you. Yeah. <laughs> we're related, you know. We're practically related, actually. Yeah. Huh. 
I never had a real brother. I had a sister, but I never had a brother, so he's the brother I never had. Yeah. Well, Chad, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us about... Oh, well, you're a good interviewer. <laughs> well, we, uh, you know, I'm sure this is going to be... A lot of people will be listening to this, and, and we appreciate you taking the time and telling us all these different stories and everything. Well, thank you for letting me lie on my motel bed and uh, <laughs> tell you these stories. I feel much better now. Thank well, you. well I, and good luck at the concert tonight. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Brian. And I really want to thank Chad Stewart of Chad and Jeremy for sitting down and talking to us. And I uh, just love hearing those stories. It's 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 just such a such a pleasure to listen to these people tell or, tell their stories and all the little things that went on behind the scenes that you don't usually hear about. And uh, it was uh, very nice talking with him. And let's see here. What else do we have before we go? I just want to remind you once again, we're going to be heading off to Hawaii on, Nova, uh, on uh, November 8th. We'll be at the premiere of Ryan and Sean's Not-So-Excellent Adventure, like I said earlier. And we'll be there for everything, for the arrival of the stars. And we'll be chatting with them. We'll be also having um, interviews with uh, uh, some of the people who are watching the movie, some fans who are there, some uh, spectators whatever you want to call them. They're all going to be there, and we will have that on a podcast, and we will probably have a video cast for you. So that's going to be something different. And uh, let's see. We hope that uh, if you are in Hawaii on uh, November 8th, Saturday, November 8th, that uh, you stop by. Uh, they will be playing at the Hollywood Theater at, uh, I'm not sure what the time is off the top of my head, but uh, the premiere, you can look, check on our website. We do have all that information about when it is, what time it is. And um, like I said, there's going to be people from there. Then we will be traveling to L.A. the following week on Thursday on the uh, 13th at the L.A. premiere. And Ryan and Sean will be there also once again. And uh, some people who are in the movie, like uh, um, Shorty Rossi, who uh, plays Ink on, in the movie, and uh, Bobby Ballard, who uh, was uh, one of the cops on the, the show, on the not on the show, but on the movie. And uh, the uh, producer will be there. And uh, let's see, the director, uh, Richard Van Vliet, will be there. And there's just going to be a whole bunch of people. And there's going to be special guest stars who will be stopping by. And hopefully we'll be able to get a second to uh, chat with them as they come down the red carpet. And uh, then the movie will play, and then they're going to have uh, a second showing with all the people talking after the movie. People can ask questions and talk about uh, the movie and things like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a good time. We hope that you will check out On Screen and Beyond coming up in the next month or so as we post these things. And um, like I say, we're going to try to get some video up there, and uh, we'll have uh, the podcast and everything. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then on the Saturday, November 14th, there'll be a special showing in San Francisco. So there's a whole bunch of things going on, and there's going to be a lot of more showings uh, around the country, but uh, they won't be the special ones where Ryan and Sean or Ryan or Sean will show up um, or the other members. But the, the, the movie will be playing at other places. So we hope you're going to check that out and go have a good time. And then, of course, later on, we will be having a, a, a DVD release of the movie that uh, we will be talking about here and on screen and beyond as they let us know about that. That'll be coming down the pike. So a lot of stuff will be going on. And let's see, the next episode of On Screen and Beyond, we have a very special guest. We have interviewed this person before, but we are going to be interviewing Taylor Lautner of Twilight. 
That movie will be coming out in November. The next episode of On Screen and Beyond will have an interview with Taylor once again, and this time he talks exclusively about his uh, movie Twilight and what goes on and, and the premiere of that and all sorts of other stuff. So we hope you'll be listening for that one coming up very shortly. Um, it's going to be kind of a hard thing to to finagle here because I've got a lot of different things going on. Uh, we'll be out of the you know out of the state, away from the studio and everything, and we're going to have some other stuff that uh, we can do the recording on so hopefully we'll be able to get that up and uh, I want to get that out of course before Twilight premieres because uh, I want you to hear uh, Taylor talk about that so we hope you'll be watching for that one and then uh, like I said in December we're going to be having a interview segment with um, Billy Gray uh, who was uh, on Father Knows Best but he was also the original boy star of the Day the Earth Stood Still in the original movie. And, it, of course, the remake is coming out in December. And that's going to be a big one with Keanu Reeves. So uh, we get to talk with um, Billy Gray about that. And he also talks about the, the new movie. And he almost was going to be in it. But uh, it just didn't work out. But uh, you can find out all about that when you listen to the interview. And that's coming up. So we got some great stuff coming your way right here on On Screen and Beyond. And we hope you'll be around and listening to us. We appreciate you listening to us. And once again, I want to thank all of you from all around the world who's listening. Uh, we get a lot of people from England and uh, uh, China and Japan and, and uh, where else? We get Germany, Australia. Everybody, there's so many people that are listening, and sometimes send us a note uh, at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we'd love to hear from you, uh, find out where you're from, or, uh, you know, you, uh, I've even said that you can send me a audio clip of you saying that you listen to On Screen and Beyond. We'll, we'll plug it into the show at some point, and you can uh, let your friends know that you're going to be part of the show. We want to make this part of everybody's uh, you know, this is not just our show. This is your show, and uh, it's all an Internet thing. So we hope you can join us on that. All right, so uh, that's about it for now. Until the next time, take care. Mm-hmm.